What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of Beyond the Bench Hockey. We are your hosts. I'm Chad. Y'all know me as Sigmund Schmidt. As always, I got Trev. Uh, man, I was messing up. What is it? Mar- Marlovis Thornton? Oh, my God. You got it. What's going on, guys? Today, we are very pleased to bring our special guest. Uh, she is a, an Olympic gold medalist, Olympic silver medalist, three-time silver medalist for Worlds. She's the first female to ever broadcast a NHL playoff game. She's basically paved the roadway for anybody coming in, following her footsteps afterwards. We have AJ Malesko. AJ, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me. And um, I, I appreciate the walk down memory lane and giving me uh, some props on my resume. I'm, I'm sitting at home during this pandemic with my four kids and feeling pretty far away from that world. So uh, why don't you, I mean, if, if you'd like to, go ahead and give us a brief rundown of, I mean, kind of everything you're involved in right now. Uh, well, right now, um, during this, this pause in, in life, it's, it's been an interesting time for all of us, obviously, and trying to keep safe and healthy like everybody else, and also trying to keep a little, little touch of sanity, which actually seems to be... Uh, a little tougher than I imagined. Um, still managing and fumbling through the school stuff, the distance learning, but the NH world will be doing the Islanders coverage uh, as a host alongside Shannon Hogan, who's the host, and um, and I do I'm in between analyst uh, with Brendan and Butch calling the game so that's been really fun I live outside of Boston so it's definitely a different different thing to work for a, a New York based team when I live in in bar started to get a little bit of, of blue and orange in their closets when they come down to come down to visit um, but it's it's been fun and it's been um, both the NBC stuff I work in both in the in the booth um, as an analyst and in, in between the benches as they call it inside the glass and it's been hard without it I've missed it I the travel is challenging I have four kids um, they all play sports I coach them uh, and when they play hockey and so I have that life going on at home and then of course during the season I'm on the road a lot so balancing that was I thought uh, incredibly challenging and of course now that I don't have that balance I I miss trying to trying to navigate it so I guess the grass is always greener yeah so what what uh what have you guys been like how have you been handling keeping the kids in shape and actually training for hockey and stuff like that and coaching them during these shutdowns yeah it's hard and you know so I've got my kids are ages um I've got two girls and two boys and the girls are 16 and 14 and the boys are 12 and 8 um and I think hockey is the hardest one just because the skating you know it's so different and that's one thing that's always appealed to me about the sport is that it is different and you have to know how to skate and um, unlike other sports where you know how to run you know how to walk and you have to pick up the other skills so um, I think particularly for my 14 year old daughter who's really serious about hockey and she's uh, she's done a lot of stick handling in the basement and shooting and her birthday was in May we gave her rollerblades so she could have sort of a sense of it Um, 
she's been working with some of her teammates and doing some with them some virtual like zoom workouts um and my older daughter my 16 year old is just about to finish up her sophomore year in high school and she does play hockey at uh, at our school but lacrosse is her true love and something she wants to pursue in college so i think for her missing her lacrosse season this year was really heartbreaking um and missing this summer because it's a big recruiting summer in terms of college so she's been able to bounce back able to do them. they're old enough to understand how what what the consequences are um, and how important it is to stay active and work on skills and use this time as frustrating as it is my boys it's a little different um, just because age they are my 12 years of trying to keep up with hockey about ice with a goalie it's really really hard um, it's been maybe learning how to juggle do some things like that but he's also a lacrosse player and um, staying staying active staying involved and then my eight-year-old basically runs from room to room to room so that's his activity uh, playing street hockey in the driveway um, so you know I think like every other family just trying to manage all of that the energy level the uh, the difference the, the mental health too, sitting at home with your family all day every day which is isn't healthy for any of us um, and then also, of course, the online learning, the school, the Zooms, the trying to manage that as, as somebody who's not qualified to be a teacher. So um, every day brings a different challenge, but we're muddling through. And I'm, you know, in some ways, some days it's easier than others trying to find the silver lining that we're spending all this time together and, um, and moving forward. So we have, um, going, going all the way back to the beginning, you played, is it, was it Harvard? Yes. Okay, and then from Harvard, um, did you go straight to Olympics or did you play in the World Championships first? So I, um, I played, I uh, um, grew up in Connecticut and I played boys hockey throughout, was the only girl on the team through Bantams and then went away to boarding school um, for three years where it was the first time I played exclusively with girls. Went on to Harvard, it was actually when I was at my high school. I was a junior in high school in 1992 when I learned that uh, that the Olympics would include women's hockey for the first time. Um, in at that time, it was undecided whether it was going to be in '96 or 2000. Um, they had they were in the in the throes of splitting it, um, the winter and summer games. So ultimately, they they included in the '98 games as a full medal sport as opposed to a next. So. At that moment, the Olympics became my goal. I hadn't, I had gone to, as a high school kid, I'd gone to development camps. I'd gone um, to, I was sort of in the pool of USA Hockey. Um, I'd just, just become USA Hockey. It used to be called A House, going back, way back. Um, and so, I, you know, it was something that was on my mind um, playing in, in high school. And then I went on to play at Harvard and my, um, it was in 95, which was my, so, end of my freshman what year was that I don't know freshman or sophomore year I think it was my sophomore year that I made Team USA for the first time and played in at that time the world championships have been played in 1990 92 and 94 and they were played every other year um, but they weren't going to be played in 96 uh, I'll try not to get into the details because of seeding for the Olympics in 98 so 97 was the first world championships that I ever played and I'd played in other tournaments with Team USA in 95 and 96 um played in the world championships but i had i had actually taken time off i was supposed to graduate from harvard in 97 and um would have been perfect it would have worked out where i then the next year gone on tour with the olympic team 
Um, but in the fall, in the summer, actually, before my senior year, my coach pulled me aside and said, I can't guarantee you a spot on this Olympic team, but you have, these are the things you need to work on. And I don't think you can work on them effectively if you go back to school and have the full load of academics and college hockey. So just think about maybe taking a year off. And he couldn't tell me to take a year off. He didn't have the control of that. And he couldn't guarantee me, as he said. Um, and it was actually David Quinn, who is the current head coach of the New York Rangers, who, um, who said to me, he said, if, you, if you're destined to be sitting at home in February of 98, watching this squad of Team USA compete for a gold medal at the Olympics, but you're not on the team, you're just not going to make the team, don't you want to make sure that you have no regrets? Don't you want to make sure you've left no stone unturned? And that was what ultimately sealed the deal for me that I decided to take that year off to and the the week the hockey IQ I had the skills but I just needed I needed strength and and fitness so I took the year off um and trained by myself which was really hard I mean there wasn't any structure any sort of um it was it was a weird year um and it was my senior year that I missed and so then I competed and made the Olympic team luckily after all that taking those risks and we won the gold which was incredible first ever Olympic gold medal awarded in women's hockey went to us and then I, I went back to Harvard and I competed in 98 99 and we won the national title that year um, at Harvard so it was a pretty good pretty good two-year run that uh, that I that luckily I have no regrets about but um, but you know it was it was an it was an incredible journey so yeah the, uh, you played in 98 the Olympics and obviously winning the first ever women's hockey gold medal in the Olympics. That's an outstanding achievement. Can you just define for us what it was like to play in that tournament and like be in what was going on in your head during that run? Uh, it's crazy. It was 22 years ago um, because the time, you know, goes by for all of us yeah. um, and the advances made in the sport. And, and, you know, I mentioned my work with NBC, with the NHL and MSG with the Islanders. Um, I've also been been fortunate enough to work in broadcasting at the Olympics. So I worked in Torino in 06 and Vancouver in 2010, Sochi in 2014, and again in, in Pyeongchang when they won the gold, the U.S. won the gold in um, 2018. So, you know, I've, I've had a, a, a front row seat, if you will, to watch the developments of the game. So going back to my time, um, it's, it's, you know, I don't even, I haven't even really watched that final game and I, I maybe I with my kids I might do it but it, the, the quality is terrible it's I mean it the whole thing is just it ages me astronomically so I have I have no interest in re in watching it only because in my mind it's so different um I it, it was we were all rookies so if you take any Olympic team now you have veterans you have leaders you have people who have been there that sort of help the younger newer players along but we had a team of 20 people that had never been to the Olympics and we had a coach who had never coached a team at the Olympics and we we caught lightning in a bottle we we found some magic and it was an incredible team and it was all the intangibles I mean Canada had an incredible team as well and it really it always has come down to the two two of us the superpowers in women's hockey U.S. and Canada and uh, with one actually with one exception in 20 uh, 2006 Sweden beat the U.S. um I mean, sorry. Yeah, Sweden went on to lose to Canada in the in the gold medal game. They got the silver, but otherwise, it's really these two superpowers. So Canada had an incredible team on the ice, skill wise. We had an incredible team on the ice, skill wise, and it really came down to that one game that we happened to win on that day. And you know, I can't tell you why, and and I don't know that you can even words can describe it. We had played Canada. 14 times leading up to that gold medal game. 
So uh, 13 times in a, in a pre-Olympic tour setting from September through January, and then once in the Olympics in the preliminary round. And going into the gold medal game, we each had won seven games, and we'd each scored 34 goals against the other. So goals for, goals against, dead even, you know, seven and seven. It was so evenly matched, and we happened to pull out the win on February 17th in 1998. And I'm forever grateful. I mean, I'm not saying it's dumb luck because we worked our tails off. Um, and we had, we worked our mentally, physically, we came together. We, it was, um, it was, it was going to battle with, with your best friends. Right. And, and I think that that's something that I also am so fortunate that I played a team sport. I, I respect the individual athletes that we got to know. Um, I, I have so much respect for them because it's so, there's so much pressure on those, you know, those athletes, the skiers, the speed skaters, the figure skaters, it's, it's an incredible thing that they do mentally and physically too, but the mental strength it takes to be an individual athlete, we had each other to rely on and we were like a well-oiled machine. So I think going to Nagano, Japan, halfway around the world, um, everybody had one or two, well, everyone had at least one member of their family there, but it was a pretty small crew cheering us on. Um, the opening ceremonies are, that's other than winning the gold medal, the opening ceremonies are my favorite memory of it because we walked out, you know, I talk about our team of 20 that was so unified and so um, together that suddenly we're dressed as Team USA, the same as every other athlete, and we walk out together as the as Team USA. And that was the first moment that I I really realized that I'd rec I'd realized my dream. I'm an Olympian. I'm part of Team USA. It's sort of part of something much bigger than myself. Um, and you know, I think that going through the the uh, Olympic Village, where all the athletes stay, you get to go into the cafeteria where athletes from all over the world are eating and wearing their country's garb. All of that stuff is is incredible memories to me. Um, you know, we got to meet a a group of 20 women came together. We were to win that goal. It sounds like you just uh, read us the plot of Miracle. So I don't know why there's not a movie <laughs> about this already. I, th I think we need a miracle too. <laughs> uh, that You guys are nice to say that. That was a big, um, that was a big, uh, you know, I, I, a lot of my teammates grew up watching or, or, or remembering that story. And some, some of us were too young to really know it. Um, or know it personally, obviously we all know the story, um, but it's, it is incredible. I actually have something in my house that's signed by all the members of the 1960 gold medal team, the 1980 gold medal team and our team. Um, and this was done before the 2018. So it was the three U.S. Olympic, uh, Olympic gold medal winning teams, which is pretty, pretty amazing awesome. to be a part of. That's awesome. So um, the 2002 Salt Lake, which I'm very familiar with because I live out here in Salt Lake. So <laughs> um, was it the same team? It was not the same team. It was some of the, some uh, crossover. There were, uh, top of my head, I think there were 12 cross, uh, 12 out of 20 um, competed in Salt Lake. So we did have some, some people that retired. And I mean, remember 1998 was the first time women's hockey was included in the Olympics. So there were certainly people that were sort of hanging on to their time on Team USA in the hopes that they got a shot at playing at the Olympics. So we had some older players um, that, that hung up their skates after 98 and after winning a gold. Um, it's tough to compete with that. I looked at it a different way where once I got a taste for that, I wanted, I wanted it again. And uh, we didn't succeed. 
Uh, there are 20 years between U.S. gold medals, 1998 and 2018. Um, so I, I, in 2002, it, the interesting thing to me about 2002 is that we were we were the best team. In 1998, as I said, I think it could have gone either way. We were so evenly matched with Canada, and somehow we found the magic on that that one gold medal game. Um, in 2002, we were we were the heavy favorites because we had won four years earlier. We were on our home soil, which people also sort of forget though, that it is also, we're so close to Canada. I mean, that arena was half Canada, half us. Um, and, you know, I think for us, we leading up to it, I talked about the game preliminary games we played in 97, 98 in 01, we played them eight times. We won all eight. We went into that, that Olympics eight, no against Canada the whole season, the only loss we had was February 22nd, 2002. So by all accounts, that's a pretty successful season. But of course, we end up, we fall short of our goal. We end up uh, with a silver medal instead of a gold medal. And, um, and in our sport, that's, that's a hard, that's a really hard reality for us. That's a really hard um, thing to swallow. And it's hard to say we won a silver for a long, long time. We talked about how we lost the gold. And sometimes I even think of it that way. Um, and in our sport, of course, you have to, you have to lose a game to win a silver and you win a game to win a bronze. Right. So it's a, it's a, it's an interesting um, mental challenge for athletes. People will see Canada and the U S when they, after they play and the losing team, the team that wins the silver is crying and people, and there's criticism for that all the time. you know, look at you out there, you won a silver. That's so exciting. But in the moment, it is so hard as an athlete to get that close to your ultimate goal and fall short. And for us, that's what it was. We, we didn't, we choked. We, I, I give a ton of credit to Canada. They played uh, out of their minds. They deserved to win that game that day, but it was a really hard pill for us to swallow, um, to lose that year. How many times in your lifetime have you heard, uh, well, you still won the silver. That's great. A, a lot, a lot. And it is a hard, it's, it's hard to explain it. Um, but it's something that is, um, and I'm proud of it. And I, and I will say in the years since, and it's been 18 years, I've gotten to the point where I'm very proud of the journey. And I'm very proud of the fact that we worked that hard to get there. And, and arguably we worked harder than we did in 98 because we knew what we were getting into. Uh, we knew what it took and we knew the mental and the physical and all of those struggles that we had to go through. So we worked just as hard, if not harder and, and fell short. And I think that I have a lot, when I talk to groups, when I talk to kids groups, whoever, whomever it may be, I talk about that a lot about you can do everything right. I have no regrets about that season about I wouldn't, I don't want to look back and say, Oh, I, if only I had done more pull-ups. If only I had done this, if only I had eaten better or, you know, whatever it is, it, it, I have no regrets. It just didn't work out for us that year. And, and you can do everything right, work your tail off and you still may not succeed. And it's how you react to that. And uh, for many of my teammates, they went on and, and they competed four years later in Torino and, and fell even shorter. They, they got massively upset by Sweden in a shootout in the semifinals and won a bronze. So, you know, I think that then they started Team USA as a program, started building it back up. But it is, you know, hearing that is, it's hard to explain to people. I'm proud of it, but, you know, still, it, despite all the pride, despite all the lessons learned and all the things I can say, if I could go back in time, I absolutely would change the outcome of that game and give us another gold medal. So backtracking a little bit, because I missed it. There was an award you won in college. Is that correct? 
Yes, Asmire, I assume is what you're talking about. Yeah. No. Uh, that so that award is given that award is given to the top player in college. Started in 1998, which was the year of the, of the Olympics. So uh, that was the first year it was awarded to a, a player named Brandy Fisher, who played at UN, uh, University of New Hampshire. And then I won it the next year in 1998. So you were the second one to ever win it. I lose you guys again. Yes. That, that is awesome. And that's uh, <laughs> just to reiterate on that, that's just the top hockey player in, in the division. Is that correct? In, in college hockey, in, in, the, um, in the NCAA, NCAA uh, at the time, the NCAA didn't recognize women's hockey. So it was just the top college hockey player um, in the country. It was started by the USA Hockey Foundation. Um, it's, it it uh, is compared to the Hobie Baker for men's hockey. Um, and actually, it's interesting. It's named after Patty Kazmaier, a player who, um, who played at Princeton. She was a phenomenal athlete. Uh, played at Middlesex um, School in Concord, Massachusetts, which is actually the town I live in. Um, and her father, Dick Kazmaier, won the Heisman Trophy back in 1956. He was a football player at Princeton. Um, so it, it's, you know, the Heisman for football, Hobie Baker for men's hockey, and the Patty Kazmaier for women's hockey. It's, it, that's, it, it's sort of a cool... Um, parallel the fact that Dick Kazmaier was was such a phenomenal athlete and won the Heisman himself and then had uh, this award this prestigious award named after one of his he had five daughters and this Patty Kazmaier died of a real rare blood disease when she was in her 20s um, but the but I became actually close to Dick and Patty Kazmaier senior the uh, Patty Kazmaier's mother and so it was it was a wonderful thing for me through this award to stay in touch with them and Dick passed away a couple years ago but um, but it was it was a, a great honor um, Obviously, from a hockey perspective, I was thrilled to win it, but also just knowing who Patty was and, and what, the, what the award represents means a lot to me. That's very awesome. All right, here to finish it up, we're going to ask uh, six questions. We're going to ask them pretty quick. Just uh -oh, hot seat. All right. That's ready. basically what we like to do. So we're just going to kind of go back and forth. Um, uh, I'll go, he'll go, I'll go, he'll go. We're, we're going to have six. If you're uncomfortable answering them, there's nothing weird in there, but if you're uncomfortable answering them, feel free to say, I don't want to answer it. Um, first one, <laughs> what is your first hockey memory? My first hockey memory, Canyon, Connecticut, and we lived near the rink and we're skating there. It's an outdoor rink, and I remember being, and, and possibly when I remember, I, I might have been on figure skates, which is how I started. Um, so maybe that's my first skating memory. Um, but we did play a lot of pond hockey on the, on the pond that was right next door. Um, a memory that I have, which is probably not my first, but it's the, it's early and it's the funniest is that when I started to play hockey, I was about five and my dad thought it was great. And he went to the, um, lost and found to outfit me because he didn't, it's expensive. He's not going to buy me all this gear if he doesn't think I'm going to, I'm going to stick with it. And he outfitted me head to toe, including a protective cup, which, <laughs> need. So I remember going out there and thinking, this is terribly uncomfortable. Dad, I don't need this. And he realized quickly that I did not need it. <laughs> yeah. All right. So kind of uh, piggyback off that question, we've got the second question. What got you involved in the sport in the first place? Um, I, I, I asked to be involved. So I guess it was my intrigue, um, my interest, my I thought it looked really fun. Um, as I said, we lived next door to a rink. Um, my father is a hockey coach. Um, he coached the Bantams at our, in our youth program, which Bantam is, you know, middle school age. 
early high school. Um, so he coached the big boys. Um, and I, we, we lived, we, I saw it and I loved it. And I asked, um, and they let me, I had been a figure skater, as I said, I was little, I mean, when I say figure skater, I mean, I had figure skates on my feet and they, they wouldn't let me give that up because they didn't want it to be a flash in the pan, but it was really my parents' support that I was going to, that I wanted to play this sport that was traditionally considered a boys sport. Uh, they thought it was great and were all in if I wanted to do it. And, but it really, ultimately, I think it was just my interest in the sport. It looked fun. What was your favorite team growing up? I mean, we, we know it's probably the Islanders right now, but what was growing up? <laughs> I mean, it sort of has to be. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, that's, a, that's a tough one. I would say probably the Rangers. <laughs> the town I grew up in, it was a big Rangers country. Um, so I, I like them a lot. My, my mom's family is from the Boston area, so I did always love the Bruins. And Bobby Orr retired before before I was even born, but I always loved, my dad's a charter fisherman, um, or was a charter fisherman, and he, Bobby Orr was a client of his, so I had the Bobby Orr story that I read, so I did always like the Bruins too, um, which is weird to like a New York team and a Boston team, but um, uh, yeah, so I would, I would probably say I, I was the most familiar with the Rangers based on where I lived and, the t and what I watched on TV and what the boys that I played with, who they wanted to be, and uh, and therefore who who I wanted to be. Isn't that illegal out there to like like a team of both? Yeah, it yeah no it, it's, yes I it well it's not the Red Sox Yankees that would be that's illegal that's illegal and I definitely was a Red Sox fan growing up even around there because of as I said my extended family was Boston and they were massive Red Sox fans so that 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 one went without saying I couldn't couldn't live in the house if I wasn't. <laughs> I can at least I can at least speak on the Yankees Red Red Sox because I'm oddly, oddly enough I'm in I'm in New York but I'm a Sharks fan and that's I get the same weird looks as you do being. I think you get the weird because again you chose just randomly to be a Sharks fan who does that That's just... <laughs> hey you know what I will say the older I got and the more I got into hockey though the more I would sort of appreciate different teams right and and now that I work in broadcasting it's totally different but I remember getting in you know liking certain teams based on you know through the playoffs I really like the grit of that team or the way they play or you know what like the Blues were even though they beat the Bruins last year in the finals they were a fun team I mean I did cover them through the first two rounds so I got to know them really well but it is, you get, you, you, I like the arbitrary, you're a fan because you're a fan. There's no, there's no reason other than you just like them. So yeah. go Sharks. Yeah. All right. So fourth question, I, I feel like this may be a no brainer, but we're going to ask it anyway. What is your favorite game you've ever played in? <laughs> yeah, we should have changed that question. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a pretty easy one. That is uh, February 17th, 1998 and uh, three, one win over Canada. One of them was an empty net goal. It was, um, it was a surreal moment. I, I do have a lot of favorites. I, I, you know, in the national title game in, at Harvard, we beat UNH 6-5 in overtime. That was, a, that was a tremendous memory as well. But nothing can compare to winning an Olympic gold medal. All right, number five, what coach or player inspired you the most uh, throughout your whole career? Mm, that's a really hard one. Um, I would say that, that – um, I, my, my dad, a coach where I, and he was my coach and he was the one that really allowed me and gave me the freedom to be a girl on a boys team and, and pushed me to, if I wanted to do it, he, he was tough on me, really tough. So 
so I would say, I don't know if it was together with my mom's support, um, allowed me to pursue my dreams unabashedly. Um, I would say that my, just staying with coaching, my Olympic team coach, Ben Smith, uh, is, was my favorite coach. He was amazing and um, taught me so much about hockey, so much more than about hockey than I thought he, he could um, or anybody could. I still stay in touch with him now. Um, in terms of a player, you know, it's like I, when you say that, my first instinct is just NHL players because we didn't have female players as role models. Um, but I will say that in, as far as inspiring me, all my teammates, I mean, they were amazing. They, I'm, I'm in awe. I, even when I was playing with them, I, 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 could, I could almost take it for granted when I was going through it. But when I take a step back and now later in my life, having two daughters and well, two sons too, but looking up to different people and what they do, I, I find myself telling them stories about my teammates all the time and what they did and what they endured, what, you know, whether it was surgeries, physical limitations, things they had to fight through or the mental strength it took to get where they got. And I think on an everyday basis, when we trained together, um, going to the weight room, that was my inspiration is I wanted to keep up with them. And this was a team that I wanted to be a part of so badly that, um, that I would, I worked my tail off to be a part of it. All right. And now the last question, um, Last episode, we had somebody break the trend, but we've had a trend of answers throughout our guests that have been exactly the same for this question. So I'm excited to see what you think of it. So, so the sixth could... question, we change up the beginning questions, but the sixth question is the same question for all our guests because we like to get like kind of the same general census of answers. And, and it's literally almost been the same exact answer from everybody. So let's see. If you could change any one rule in hockey, what would it be and why? Oh, now I assume we're talking NHL, right? I mean, unfortunately, there are a lot of different rule books here. So yeah. if I could change one rule. Oh, man, pressure's on if everyone gives the same answer. <laughs> um, I don't, God, that's a hard one. I, I, I mean, I... I sort of feel like it, it has to do with reviews. I think the re the video reviews need to be um, uh, con evolved continually um, in terms of how they use them. Cause I think there are some times that it goes, it goes too much. Um, I don't know. I think as a, my son's a goalie and he's chirping at me in the back to say goalie interference. Um, I can hear him, but I would, I, I, there's something about, I don't think this is going to be a popular view, but maybe make the nets bigger. So there's more goals. Oh. What does everybody else say? Trapezoid. Trapezoid. So, so when you said goalie, I was like, uh-oh, here it goes. <laughs> yeah. So going, going yeah, back. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I think that those are so – that's a hard one. But go ahead. Going back to your first one, the five-minute reviews, um, i just like to remind everyone that that was not a five-minute they're in the Stanley Cup finals. We're not. We're not. Do, we're not doing this. We're not. Do As I said that, I realized that I had a shark skin on here, and that wasn't my intention of saying that. And that's why. That's why I caught myself and said it's a constant evolution because being on the side of the broadcasters now, I, I do understand some of the limitations, and the league has the you know, and I've spent some time with the officials, the refs. But I will say, I think there are times that. Anyway, I just think it's challenging, and I think there's a lot of different ways to look at it. So it's a constant evolution. Absolutely. Is that is that too political? 
no, no. It's, I mean, no. realistically, it's probably going to still change every few years on how it's how everything's reviewed. We'll see how if there's... yeah, it's hard. And I would say as a broadcaster, it's hard too because sometimes they have um, like even if it's an offside review, we don't get a look at the camera right away. Right. So as broadcasters, we're talking through it and we don't get a look at what the officials are seeing. Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. So I think some of that is challenging, too, in terms of access to technology. And as technology gets better, I think the reviews will get better. Um, but, you know, you talk about the review on goalie interference. And again, I got my my 12 year old chirping at me. So I, I get it. There's there's different views. But I always thought it would be interesting. Like they've talked about ways to increase scoring and the goalies are so good right now that I do think there's something interesting about it, about making the nets bigger. But if I'd like any goalies that listen to this, my apologies, because that's like the worst <laughs> thing they want to hear. So I'm going to throw in a seventh question here, but does it ever get difficult or like kind of hard to hide emotion on certain plays while you're broadcasting? Obviously you want to keep like the same tone and not show any favoritism, but like, does that ever actually get difficult to do while games are going, whether it's an injury or um, a play or anything like that? You know, I, I sometimes find, yes, simple answer to your question, yes, but that's the job. Um, and I find it interesting that I could call U.S.-Canada gold medal games through the years after I've played um, and keep the emotion out of it. And there's a, there's a video, actually, that a cameraman, camera operator was behind me in Pyeongchang in 2018, and I had my headset on, Kenny Albert's next to me. And the U.S. wins in a shootout, right? Matty Rooney makes that last stop. And I, and it's Kenny Alberts talking as the play-by-play -play in that moment. And I've got a live mic on and I am jumping up and down like a crazy person. And because I'm not on camera. And so I didn't think it was being captured. And I, when the guy, when the this friend, of my, he sent it to me, because he was trying to capture the, um, the last bit, right? And just to get the, this is U.S. winning gold. This is epic. And he caught my celebration. And he sent it to me. And at first I was really embarrassed because as a broadcaster, I'm supposed to be unbiased. And then I ended up posting it, just showing that this is, this is how I felt. This is incredible. I'm, I'm still a, you know, member of team, former member of team USA, but in the moment, in my voice, I, I'm still an analyst. So I find sometimes that a long answer question, I find sometimes when I'm calling games that I'm really emotional about, I have to almost completely get rid of the emotion and, and then I get criticized because I'm flat, monotone voice. And my bosses will say, we need more from you. We need more of that emotion. It's just got to go both ways. You got to be just as excited about a shark school as you are about a golden night school, for example. Um, and, you know, I think that that's something that, uh, you know, you go on Twitter. I know I'm doing a good job when I go on Twitter and, and the Blues fans think I'm a, a huge fan of Dallas Stars and the Dallas fan think I work for the St. Louis Blues. And I'm like, you know what? I'm right down the middle. Both these fans yeah. think I'm, I'm biased to the other team. So long answer to your question, but it is, it is challenging, but it's a part of the job. And I love the sport so much that it's pretty easy for me to get jazzed up about good plays, no matter who makes them. That's awesome. Um, so is there talk with you about – broadcasting in ghost arenas for playoff games or how, how is that going to work? You guys going to be broadcasting from home? Yeah, it's not, you know, I don't, I'm not sure yet. I do think that, um, 
I, at my understanding, and I haven't, I don't know that I'm going to be called in to do any of this stuff because I think it's going to be a bare bones um, crew for, for both NBC and MSG. I, I believe that the broadcast will all happen remotely from studios, not from home, but from a studio, not inside, not on. I mean, obviously there'll be some, there'll be camera operators. And I think they're still working through the details, trying to figure out how they're going to navigate that. I mean, the technology right now is so good that broadcast remotely. I, and I actually worked in the, um, the Rio Olympics. I did field hockey in 2016, but I called them from a studio in Stanford, Connecticut. Um, so, you know, all of that is possible. I, I know regional broadcasts are not allowed to be on site. They're going to get the feed from the national, from NBC. Um, and actually I shouldn't, I, maybe I'm saying that that's my understanding. I haven't talked to anybody official at the league or at NBC or MSG. That's just hearsay through colleagues of mine. Um, so I think it's all, it's all a work in progress as this, this lockdown eases and, you know, the, the, everyone's trying to figure this out, but, but I have faith that both the NHL, NBC and MSG and all the other networks will make the best viewing experience for the, for everybody at home. Cause we're all dying to have hockey back or any live sports for that matter. Bring it, bring it on. Yeah. I think everyone can agree. We just <laughs> would like to see some, even if there is a cloud over your head for the rest of your career, whoever wins the playoffs this year, because it's the COVID cup, you know, yeah, you know, I, the way I look at it is it, it, it is it, it will be different. And whether you put a, an official asterisk next next to it or not, it's still hockey. You still go back. Um, maybe there's a cloud over it, but you still wanted and other people didn't. And then there's it goes back to normal, hopefully, next year and the year after. And, and you know, maybe with some changes um, moving forward. But but let's just let's just watch some hockey. Yeah, I know Trevor. you can only watch so much NASCAR before you lose your mind. Trevor. Or also, I'd like I'm not a big uh, watching watching reruns, right? I, like a lot of people say, oh, well, the 2009 or whatever it is, mm -hmm. Stanley Cup playoffs. It's, if I know who who wins, I probably won't watch it. But yeah. give me some live sports. Trevor, you look confused. The Stanley Cup, it's the big term at the end of the season that like every, everyone plays in. Well, some teams. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. All right, guys. Well. That's all we got for you guys. AJ, thank you so much for joining us. We really taking, appreciate you taking time out of your day, um, especially during everything going on. I know you're a busy person, so uh, we sincerely appreciate you. Thanks for having me, and uh, my apologies for all the technical difficulties that I presented. Not a problem at all. Trev, you got anything? No, just AJ, thanks again so much. Awesome guest, probably one of the best guests we've had on the show so far. Um, all the fans are going to be really excited to hear this one. Uh, other than that, everybody continue to stay safe through this troubling time. Um, we'll get through this together. And everybody, thanks so much for tuning in and listening. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.